0: The White House Postal Task Force has called for rolling back collective bargaining rights for postal union employees, but it's not looking to undo the Postal Service's obligation to prefund health benefits for future retirees. Those are just two of the takeaways from the long-awaited report. Its recommendations dropped shortly after the Postal Service reported its 12th straight year of losses. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman joins me with more. And I guess this report, 75 pages in all, probably the most controversial piece of it will be the topic of collective bargaining. What did the task force members led by Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, have to say?
1: That postal task force convened by not only Treasury but OPM and OMB—they all have uh, buy-in on that task force. They recommend looking seriously, taking a look at the collective bargaining rights that these postal employee unions uh, have. Um, we've already seen this play out already uh, since this summer with uh, other employee, uh, with other unions, the uh, American Federation of Government Employees and the National Treasury Employees Union. They've been locked in a, a lawsuit kind of battle with the Trump administration over a lot of these same things regarding collective bargaining. Now, this Except all, that postal employees can bargain over wages and benefits, correct? Unlike that, the federal employees in the regular bureaucracy. That's an important distinction, yeah. And in these three executive orders that, again, these lawsuits are embroiled over, uh, the Postal Service was exempted from those. And so this is not quite a one-to-one, but this is uh, this task force saying that this should at least be looked into to some degree. And the Postal Task Force does acknowledge that about 76% of the Postal Service's operating costs are contributed to labor. And they also said that postal employees, on average, are better compensated than their peers at, say, FedEx or uh, UPS. In fact, the panel members found that relative to FedEx workers, UPS, USPS workers are 20, or half again better paid. That's right. And to get a better sense of what this, uh, this report really means, I caught up with uh, Kevin Kozar. He's a senior fellow at the R Street Institute. Uh, they're a liberal, they're, they're a libertarian think tank here in D.C. And he said that the task force, based on his understanding of the report, wants to make the Postal Service make its costs more predictable.
0: This is very, very disruptive for cost planning purposes. I mean, the Postal Service has been the last year Ordered to make like retrospective raises and the like. I mean, it, just, it wasn't in the cash flow, and boom, suddenly you have to pay more. So moving to something similar to like what other federal employees get with the general schedule or one of the other schedule would make for much more predictable situation. So that's one recommendation in favor of the what the panel says is to just they would have better cost control. In fact, I think what the panel is recommending is just put postal workers into a system similar to what is currently used by the regular civil
1: service. Right. To what uh, Kevin Kozar was just saying there, that moving more towards a general schedule like system or something more akin to the rest of federal employees is ultimately what they're looking for. All right. And Jory, by the way, we're speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. What else is the report recommending? So... Unlike the direction that a lot of these legislative fixes have been uh, proposing over the past couple of years, which uh, have never passed, which have never passed. They've gotten as far as, I believe, uh, getting out of committee. Um, but th- that's ultimately where a lot of them kind of die out. But uh, time and again, they always kind of focus on this really this uh, this arcane piece of, of how the Postal Service uh, funds its uh, health benefits for retirees and not just current ones, but ones well into the future. They uh Under a 2006 law, I believe, have had to uh, keep making these billion-dollar, multiple billion-dollar payments to this fund, Uh, and they uh, they don't have a great track record of meeting those. They've defaulted on some of those, and the postal service, the unions, everyone keeps on saying we gotta address this pre-funding mandate. Uh, The postal task force, they they looked at that and said, you know what, we we aren't really interested in doing that. Uh, This seems to be the the kind of the uh, the strawman argument of if only we fix this, then everything else would be great.
0: Well, I see their point. I mean, they do say that those payments have to be restructured because they do have the obligations and it's still legally required, but they can't make them, as you point out. But on the other hand, it's like the federal deficit. The government spends $3.3 trillion, but it takes in $2.3 trillion, And so what do you decide to attribute the deficit to?
1: You can pick your poison, really. I guess maybe that's also true of the Postal Service. And, and to that point, you know, it's not as though the Postal Task Force doesn't recommend doing anything about it. They, they do propose giving the Postal Service perhaps a little, uh, a little more breathing room to make those payments and, and look at what the schedule of making those payments will look like in the future. Uh, but to give you a, a sense of just some of the numbers of what we're even looking at here, Tom, uh, just in fiscal 2018, the Postal Service defaulted on $6.9 billion in payments to this fund. And the Postal Task Force says that in total, they're on the hook for $43 billion they've yet to make that fund but they they still have to. Yeah, so one way or another their balance sheet now and in the future
0: is not looking too good. And what about the leadership of the postal service itself? I think the report had a lot to say about that also.
1: So it's interesting. They, the, the Postal Task Force recommends really putting the Board of Governors really in the driver's seat of any kind of future decisions as far as the business model, pricing, and new products and things like that. Uh, they, they really kind of uh, dismiss maybe or, or say that it's not just the role of the Postmaster General Megan Brennan, who's been at the helm for a number of years now. And they said that she's really kind of been you know going alone on that front. And so they said that going forward, this, this Board of Trustees model should really be the people who are making that decision. Uh, The one problem, perhaps, is that for a number of years now, there hasn't been a quorum for that board. Uh, It seems to be the trend for a lot of these boards these days. They just recently have two members. Um, That's been just this year they got those two members on board. It's a nine-member board, so they ultimately need six members to reach a quorum. They haven't had that number since 2014. So for two administrations now, that's been the case. Uh, And another thing that, again, Kevin Kozar with the R Street Institute brought up is that uh, he doesn't really see anything in the report that would give governors the authority they would need to make these big decisions.
0: Individual governors right now are basically part-time workers who are without staff and therefore entirely dependent upon the Postmaster General and Deputy Postmaster General for information. And so I'm not sure that anything I see in this report makes these more powerful individuals who could somehow direct the PMG or deputy PMG. Yeah, and this all flies in the face of this constant notion we hear that the Postal Service is a business. It's not a federal agency. But if you have to go to Congress to make any changes and you've got a board of governors that's politically appointed that oversees you, that's a federal agency. It just doesn't get an appropriation, I guess, is really the reality here.
1: Right, it's always a, an interesting analogy to draw. We we keep on saying that the the board of governors is like a board of trustees, but you know, a board of trustees owns stock in whatever they're overseeing, right? And so they have skin in the game. And so it's not to say that the the board of governors, you know, they aren't fine stewards of what they're overseeing, but it it, it isn't a perfect one-to-one. Let me ask you this too, Jory. The Trump administration, the White House, President
0: Trump had said he would like to see the postal service privatized as it is in some industrialized nations did the report go that far and say let's privatize this thing
1: so the the report is pretty mum on previous recommendations back in june as part of the sweeping reorganization plan to to ultimate ultimately privatize the postal service um you know it, it one uh, thing behind all of this is that this uh this privatization plan did get vetted through the house oversight committee uh over the summer and it didn't go very well. And that's bipartisan uh, pushback. There was House uh, House Democrats and House Republicans who are very concerned about that. And so they seem to be walking away from the idea of privatization, but more just cost cutting. All right. Sounds like nothing is going to happen in the short term. Federal News Network's story Heckman.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Be sure to check his story. And we also have a link to that report at Federal dot com.